Let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. John, chapter 6 is a really important and greatly misunderstood passage. And my goal this morning is more than one. The first goal is that you would understand what this text means. And so we're going to work at that. It means you'll have to pay attention. If I were to present this message to a homiletics committee, they would not be happy because it, if you were to look at the structure of it, it would probably be kind of like a knotted pretzel um, because we're going to keep on going back, kind of keep on looping back because in order to understand the important part of this passage that has been misunderstood by great majority, vast majorities of people, we have to understand the context. So I'm going to keep pointing you back to verses so that we can not explain away what is in this text, but understand it based upon what Jesus said. So there really are not markers in the text. There's not a structure to our discussion other than let's follow through the text. We're going to work through the text. So the first goal is to understand what it means so that you will understand what it doesn't mean and what it can accomplish in your life. Secondly, our goal this morning uh, is to be satisfied with what God has given to us in his son, Jesus. And thirdly, that this consideration would prepare our hearts and minds to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. With that in mind, let's pray, and then we're going to dive right in. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Guard my lips. Empower me by your spirit. Teach each one of us and let the meditation of our hearts be revolving around your word and empowered by your spirit that we would rightly respond in Jesus' name. Amen. This gospel, the gospel of John, is a revelation of who Jesus Christ really is. It is, as it were, an x-ray vision. You can see the innermost workings of who he is. He is divine. In John chapter 6, Jesus is communicating that in addition to his being our, uh, the long-awaited Messiah, he is the one who brings, listen carefully, real, enduring life. This is what he's proving to us, that he brings real, enduring life. Uh, What is this real enduring life? It is life that is not snuffed out. It is life that is ceaseless. It is eternal life. It is life with God forever. And while physical bread maintains physical life, we need spiritual bread to maintain spiritual life. And Jesus says in no uncertain terms, if you want spiritual life that lasts forever, you need to partake of me. You need me to give you eternal life. The context is set beautifully in John 6, verses 1 through 15. Jesus feeds the 5,000. It had an amazing responsiveness among the people. Look at verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So there was a great response to Jesus feeding them and turning five loaves and two fishes 
two fish, into enough to feed 5,000 plus people and take up 12 baskets with fragments for leftovers. It's an incredible, miraculous event, event, and the people responded to it. They wanted to make him king. And Jesus realized, you, you just want to make me your king. In verses 16 through 21, the disciples are pictured in a boat, recognized in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and they faced a storm. Jesus walks on the water to them. You remember this. As soon as Jesus steps into the boat, they're immediately at the shore, just proving his Messiahship. He's just, he, no one does this. No one walks on water. No one gets in a boat, and it's immediately at the shore. It's just incredible. This is who he is. Verses 22 through 24, the people are looking for Jesus. Look what it says, beginning in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. They wanted, I want more of what you have to offer. This is what is going on. They finally find him. In verses 25 and 26, they finally find him. And what you have to know, what we have to know, is that Jesus is not seeking to encourage their thoughts about him as their king. He's not seeking to encourage their thoughts about him as king. It's very clear as we read verses 25 and 26. It says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus doesn't answer that. He just says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, you just want more food. You just want more bread. You think it's really neat that I gave you bread and you want some more of that bread. That thought will be confirmed later in this passage when they say, oh, give us always this bread. We want more of it. Jesus is right on the money. We know that because he's God. Listen carefully before we move further in the text. Jesus must be both your savior and your king. He can't be your king unless he's your savior. And he can't be your savior unless he's your king. This crowd gathered in John 6 wanted to make him king without first having him as their savior. And I would say, folks, today there are many that would be gladly take him as savior but not as their king. Jesus must be honored as both Savior and King for us to be enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus must be honored as both Savior and King for us to enter the kingdom of God. This crowd wanted to make him their king because they were filled with bread. Jesus uses their desire for physical food as an entry point into an important Discussion, and I want for us to enter into that discussion beginning in verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, 
which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Jesus narrows in on their desire for more physical food, and he says, I want to tell you about some food that is much better than what you're looking for. It's a food that lasts forever. It's a food that I can give to you, and I will give to you, and the reason I, you can be confident that I can give this to you is because God has set his seal on me. And the concept of that is, you know that, remember when, when the, the, the Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove and remained upon him? Remember that? And then there's this proclamation from heaven. So there's the visible and then the audible. This is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. So God set his seal on the son. This one is the one who, who wanted to give them a food that will endure and give them life forever that will be granted to them by him. I, the Son of Man, will give it to you. And so the crowd, of course, has a question. Then they said to him, what must we do? Isn't that the way? What must we do? Okay, what's this bread? What do we do that we might work the works of God. Jesus gives them a straightforward answer, and it's, a, it's, it's a, an answer that must be understood for the rest of the chapter. This concept in verse 27 that Jesus says, I can give you bread that lasts forever. I can grant it to you. And verse 29, the, the solution to how that bread comes, verse 29 is this, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Now we just said in verse 20, 27 that God sent him. So believe in me. This is, this is a statement. I have bread that will last forever and I can give you this bread. What do we do to, to gain this? Believe in me. This is Jesus' answer to that question in verse 29. Now, verses 30 through 31, of course, the crowd responds thinking he's speaking physically. Verse 30, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Now, they already saw him, right? They saw the signs. They've seen it time and time again. What are you, what are you going to do for us? What have you done for me lately? What work do you perform? Verse 31, our fathers ate, I have a good one, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. How about you? You going to give us some bread? What, what are they thinking? We want more bread. That's all that's on their mind. Well, give us some bread. Eating bread is good. Taking out of five loaves and two fishes, that's even better. Like special bread, the freshest bread of all. It just comes out right there in the spot. You don't have to mix the ingredients and cook it. Do this little thing for me. Dance and we will believe you. Jesus is not anyone's marionette. Verse 32. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. I am the true. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Now, the people didn't say anything about Moses. Divine insight says that's what they were thinking, but they didn't say anything about Moses. Jesus introduces that. Verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven 
and gives what? Gives what? Now, might that be related back to verse 27? Look what again. It says in verse 27 again, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to what? Eternal life. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives what? Life to the world. So Jesus is telling them, he is this bread that endures forever. Verse 34, of course the people say, yeah, give us some more bread. Verse 34, they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Give us more to today and some more tomorrow and more the next day. Keep giving us bread. You'll make us happy. We'll make you king. Oh, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. And unfortunately, brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, you, you go and you give the gospel to someone and they don't respond. It happens. It's because they're missing the point. They're missing the point, the big picture of life. Well, who can make that point come to, to bear upon them? Only God. You give them the truth. You're talking about the bread of God. He gives life to all who believe in him. But so often, people don't believe in him. Well, we're going to continue on in this text. Jesus satisfies the hungry soul. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Again, if you think about this, you're, you're, he's pointing back again to verse 27. A bread that endures to eternal life. It's, it's one that you don't have to hunger for again. It's one that, that lasts. You don't need a new supply the next day. It's the same source. It's the same bread day in and day out. What, what is the thing that we struggle with? You know, because if you think about this verse, you've come to Christ. Most of you, right? You, you've, come to, you've come to Christ and you've experienced the blessing and the satisfaction of, of being related to him and being in him. And, and, you, and you say, there's nothing better than this. Is that you 24-7? There are competing desires of our heart. And sometimes we chew on them. And sometimes we drink them. The reality is, Jesus still remains that which leaves me without hunger and thirst. When I recognize, yeah, this, this thing, whatever this thing is for you that has deviated you off the path, this thing is not satisfying. And so what we do is we remember the source of that which satisfies all the time, and we go back and say, yes, this is truly satisfying. I'm not thirsty anymore. I'm not hungry anymore. This, this, this meets my deepest spiritual need because it's Christ. You know when you're in that place. You know when you're abiding in Christ and he's satisfying you. And then we wander off. We're hungry and thirsty again. It's not because he's not satisfying. It's because we have wandered away from him and we come back. And you know we take another bite, theoretically, or another sip. And you know what happens? Satisfied. This is the reality of what happens in Christ. When we come to him, we are satisfied. As I read verse 36, I want to ask you this question. Is Jesus trying to win their affections? Just keep that in, mind, in your mind. Is Jesus trying to win their affections? Verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me, 
and yet you do not believe. Now, he's told them that believing in him is how they partake of the work of God that leads to the bread of God that leads them to this eternal satisfaction. And he says, this is how you get it, and you ain't doing it. He's not trying to win their affections. He's just telling them the truth. Verse 37, he doesn't seem panicked at all here about their response to the truth he's communicating. He says in verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Now he just said in verse 35, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus is not panicked at all. So that leads us to another question to understand this text. The people that Jesus is referring to in verse 37 that come to him, why are they coming? Why are they coming? Well, I'll tell you, in verse 27, it's so that they might have food that endures to eternal life, which is a gift from the Son who was sent from the Father. In verse 29, they come because it's, it's not worked for but believed. In verse 33, this is real life. In verse 35, he satisfies every spiritual hunger and every spiritual thirst. That's why they come. They come because they know that Jesus is enough. That's why they come. All that the Father gives me, will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Verse 37 through 40, Jesus lets us know some, some great truths related to this. He says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus, the bread of life, came down from heaven to do the Father's will, which is to raise people to life, eternal life. Jesus will raise to life all that the Father gave him. What is needed? Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What is needed is belief. So far, if you were to go back and just summarize where he's come from, to have food that endures to eternal life, we need, according to verse 29, to believe, to verse 35, Whoever comes to him, verse 35, whoever believes in him, verse 37, come to him, verse uh, 40, whoever looks on the Son, verse 40, whoever believes. Is there anything curious about what he has said so far? Is there any lack of clarity? He's telling us, you'll be satisfied, you'll have this life, that, uh, this, this bread that results in eternal life, if you come to me, look on me, believe in me. Right? That's all he's saying. He said it over and over again. He's very clear. And the Jews grumble, grumble, grumble. Verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. No, you're not the bread. It was manna. I saw my parents told me about their parents telling them about their parents telling about them and their parents telling about them and their parents told them that they ate these wafer kind of things called manna, which means what is it? And they were, they were kind of like really sweet honeycomb things. You're not that because you wouldn't be here if they ate you. Verse 42, 
they said, is this, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How, how does he now say, I have come down from heaven? We know his mom and dad. You're not special. You're a human like the rest of us. Now, this started with them coming, and they're saying, oh, we want to make you king. And now they have a little bit of a different intensity about them. They're a little bit perturbed, and Jesus is not shaken. Verses 43 through 47, Jesus responds to them. Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. <laughs> Stop complaining. Verse 44, no one can come to me. Remember, in order to have this bread that results in life, that results in satisfaction, you've got to come. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Now, he said that earlier, didn't he? Verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Everyone who has heard from the Father. Now, how does he teach us? How does he, how does he bring us there? That's what the Spirit does, right? He illuminates our minds. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. But God. Isn't that great? Did you make yourself alive? Did you, while you were dead, find a, a little crumb on the ground and say, ah, this will make me alive? No! When you're dead, you're dead. The Spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. So, Jesus is telling them not to complain. He's telling them that God will raise up everyone he intends as he draws people. The drawing is God teaching them. And then he says in verse 46, I've seen the Father and you haven't. That's what he says. Verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Now, when he says this in verse 47, does that remind you of anything that we've seen? This is why I said it was going to be like a knotted pretzel. It's like, keep going back, keep going back. I keep telling you the same thing. Believe, 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 believe. Come to me, come to me, come to me. Look on me, believe me. That's what he keeps telling us. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Now, this ties that belief to verse 27 where he started, don't labor for bread that perishes, but for bread that lasts forever. I am that bread that lasts forever. This is what he's telling us. And yet we still seek stuff in other places. Verse 49, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died physical bread. Verse 50, spiritual bread. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that the one, that one may eat of it and not die. Now, we know this about bread. Bread is not effective unless it is eaten. Like your wife could, or your husband, or your child could make some bread, right? They're, they knead the dough, and they do all the things that are necessary, and they let it rise. I don't know how the process. They put it in the oven. I know that. It, it cooks. They bring it out, and it smells good. 
It smells, it fills the whole house. You walk in and you're like, oh yes, I gotta have some of that bread with some butter on it, whatever the case may be. You're, it's great, but it didn't help you. It only enticed you until you eat it. And when you eat it, it sustains your body. If you eat too much of it, it does other things to your body. We know about this kind of stuff, physical things. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. If you can, you can see that he's there, you can smell that he's there, you can think, boy, that would be great. But if you don't consume him, you've got nothing. This is what Jesus is driving at. I'm right here. You're looking for stuff everywhere else. You want to make me king because I made you some bread. The bread doesn't do anything for you. I am the bread of life, and that life endures forever and ever, and it satisfies. Why keep looking at it and sniffing it when you can consume it? He says in verse 51, I am the, li the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So he's now introducing how this living bread that is him, how that, that living bread gives life. He tells us the process with just a hint. What was it that Jesus needed to do in order to offer life or provide life to the one that comes to him in faith? His body was broken. His flesh is torn. His blood is spilled. This is how I become life to you. And of course, they're just thinking physically. They don't understand. Verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Ah. Nicodemus, same, same type of response, remember? God, how can a man enter his mother again when he's already born? You can't jump back in there. doesn't work that way. We're always thinking... Physically, Jesus is talking about something more important than physical life. In verse 53, Jesus is revealing their unbelief. In verse 53, it says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now look back at verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Remember, belief is the way we, we come to him. We look, we come, we believe. This is how we have him. And he says, you haven't believed, verse 36. Verse 53 uh, that we just read, he says, you have no life in you. He's revealing their unbelief. Verse 54 now. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is not concerned about their unbelief. He's, he's not thwarted by that. I guess it's a better way to state that. He's not thwarted by their unbelief. He's still communicating the same message even though they refuse to understand what he is dishing out. Look again at what he says here. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. This is where Roman Catholicism gets their doctrine of transubstantiation. They think the, the, the mass 
in this process that they go through, this bread becomes the, the body of Jesus and the, the, the wine becomes the blood of Jesus. And the reason is, if we don't consume him and we don't drink him, we have no eternal life. But Jesus does not say that. He's been telling us from 27 all the way to this point what it is to drink him and eat him. It's to come to him. It's to look on him. It's to believe him. Who is raised up on the last day? In verse 54, it's all of those who eat his flesh and drink his blood. That, that's, those are the ones who are raised up on the last day. Look at verse 39, however. Verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose no, nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up the last day. So the first criteria for being raised up is God the Father giving this one to God the Son. That's the first criteria. Verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Second criteria, belief. Believe. Believe. Verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And guess what? I will raise him up on the last day. So the Father's drawing. Verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. We, we see this concept, and it really, it, it should usher our minds back to verse 27. 27. Don't labor for food that perishes, but for food that lasts forever, which I will give to you. The Father has set, set his seal on me. Verse 29, the way that you will have this is by believing in me. He's saying the same thing from verse 27 all the way through, just using different images. Look a little further with me. Verse 55, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. What is he getting at? In order for you to find spiritual satisfaction, just like to find physical satisfaction, you eat something and you drink it. To find spiritual satisfaction, you have to drink me and eat me. This is where you're going to find ultimate satisfaction. It's in me. It's not in his actual flesh and it's not in his actual blood and it's not even in some image of it. This John 6 is not about the Lord's Supper. It points us to it because it's talking about what Jesus has done. But it's not about the Lord's Supper. It's about how someone comes to him and believes him and experiences life. How intimate is this relationship between Jesus and those who come to him? It's this intimate. In verse 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. That's how intimate it is. You become part of him and he becomes part of you. This is, this is earth shattering. It's not about images it's about Jesus saying, I'm enough. In verses 57 and 58, Jesus ends his teaching the way he began his teaching. Verse 57, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate 
and died, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Look back at verse 27. I know I keep doing this. I told you it was going to be like a pretzel. Verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For the Father, for on him the Father has set his seal. God sent him. He's the one that can give this life. Jesus ends the teaching the way he begins the teaching. Do you want to live forever? Do you want to live forever? I'm asking you that question. I'm looking at you. Do you want to live forever? The only way you live forever is to believe on Christ. Do you remember that Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Well, an Old Testament psalmist wrote, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that it, by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted, tasted that the Lord is good. In John 6, 35, as we already saw, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You know the reason that Jesus satisfies those who spiritually taste him is because he tasted death. He fully experienced death for everyone. This passage, while it's not about the Lord's Supper, points us to the heart of the Lord's Supper's purpose. It reminds us that Jesus gave his life to purchase my redemption. Eternal life is a gift of God through his Son whom he sent. But there was a price that was paid. And Jesus points to that in verse 51 when he says, The life that I give or what I give for the life of the world is my flesh. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we must remember it is about the work of Jesus. It is for those who have come to him and found him satisfying. It is for those who God has worked his work in them, which Jesus calls belief in verse 29. As part of our participation in the Lord's Supper, we remember him and his sufficiency. And then we reflect upon his work and as we're doing that reflection upon his work we're examining ourselves remember from first corinthians eleven twenty-eight, we examine ourselves and i guess as a way to apply this text for us this morning have you found jesus satisfying oh yes oh yes you're a believer oh yes you found him satisfying how many things have competed with him this week we've hungered and thirsted after other things have you found those things satisfying? Me hopes not. That's good news. When you find them not satisfying, that's good news. When you return your gaze to the bread of life and are satisfied in him, this is good news. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.